When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. there rock and rollers welcome to the 111th edition of the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast brought to you by me your host mac b the wolf from europe and will be joined as always by my partner in crime and co-host gary action jackson from the east coast of the united states and I hope you guys are doing well here in the new year of 2023. We appreciate you tuning into our two year in review episodes over the last couple of weeks. It was just a great time for us to reflect on all the cool developments we've had over the show over the last year or so, what 2022 had meant to us personally and as part of this podcast. We got to welcome some incredible guests on with podcasters like some of our friends from Pantheon Pods. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network and we welcomed on Christy Alexander Hallberg from Rock is Lit. And we welcomed on Tom and Zeus from the Shout It Out Loud cast. And, and we spoke with Jay at the Hook Rocks. And we had on Martin Popoff at History of Five Songs. And we had on Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks. We even had Christian Swain, the rock and roll archaeologist, on. You know, it was a lot of fun to have all them on. Finally got to see some live concerts again, including The Stones for me and Duran Duran and Jeff Beck with Johnny Depp. He's like, yes, on Close to the Edge. Got to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets for me, not once, but twice, both in Royal Albert Hall and with Jackson in the States, our first concert together in 20 eight years. Can't make it another 28 till we see the next one. Of course, he got to see the stadium tour. He got to go see the Colts again, his very favorite band. So it was just great to have live music back. Not to mention, we interviewed some killer artists, some folks who we've admired and loved all of our lives, like Jeff Downs from Yes and Asia, like Steve Hackett from Genesis, Carl Palmer of ELP and Asia, Chris Slade, who we fell in love with while he was in ACDC. It was a fantastic interview. Deborah Bonham was a wonderful interview. Met Jim Cregan of Rod Stewart's band. Some really great artists over the years. We were really proud to just kind of talk about that and reflect on that. And I hope you had a chance to listen to those and maybe even go back and listen to some of those interviews or some of those concert reviews or talks that we had with our fellow podcasters because it, it was a really great year for us here on The Wolf. We're glad that you were a part of it. We're hoping that you're going to be with us through 2023 because we got some really fun stuff on the way. Now, to kind of kick off the 2023 album reviews. And you know, we like to do albums that are having big anniversaries, maybe a 50th or 40th or something like that. So 1983 provides us all sorts of options because that's when we were like 10 years old and we were buying cassettes and watching MTV and our friends were into music and 
pop music and rock music was, was really kind of going on uh, through some interesting changes and a lot of great stuff was going on. There's some stuff that's not great out there too, but we like to focus on the stuff that we love. And Journey's Frontiers album was huge. It was such a big deal. Following up the enormous 10 times platinum, that's right, diamond in the U.S. seller, Escape, Frontiers comes out in 1983 which it's got to be impossible to try to follow up something like Escape, but they've got to do it, and they do it awfully well. It roared up the charts in the U.S. It's actually the highest charting record for Journey in the U.K., and it spawned big hits like Separate Ways, like Faithfully, like Send Her My Love. But it also included songs that were supposed to be on the album, but then at the last second were removed by their A&R team to be stuck on soundtracks, like Ask the Lonely was stuck on Two of a Kind soundtrack, which came out in 1984. And Only the Young came out on the Vision Quest soundtrack, which came out in 1985. So it is strange that you made these great hits, you intended to put them on the album, then they get pulled. But they still become singles, they still become big hits, they just become big hits through movies and soundtracks and are stretched out over a longer period of time, which gave Steve Perry a little bit of room to go and start his solo career in 1984 with Street Talk. Don't worry, we're going to talk about all that here on The Wolf today. One little point of business I want to point out is we are sponsored by the amazing RareVinyl.com. I know a lot of you guys are record collectors or memorabilia collectors, and I got to tell you, RareVinyl.com, based in the UK, is an amazing operation. They've been doing this for years. They have a quarter of a million items in stock. They have a five-star rating from Trustpilot. And they've got an amazing team who not only knows how to go out and curate and find pristine valuable albums that you're going to love, but then they ship it to you so you make sure you get it in the great shape that you want it. And what's really, really cool is if you use code PODCAST when you check out, they'll give you 10% off every purchase, not just your first purchase, but every single purchase you make if you plug in the code PODCAST. You buy collectible records, you buy first edition records, maybe they'd be CDs, LPs, 12-inch, 7-inch singles, posters, tour guides, whatever it might be, use code podcast at rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Save 10%. Great deal for record collectors, and we couldn't be more proud to have them as a sponsor. All right, I think that's enough preamble. Let's get into the 2023 shows. Today, we are looking back at Journey's Frontiers right here on The Wolf. There's, there's so much to cover, and it's kind of one of those situations like with Def Leppard with Hysteria or yeah. Oasis with What's the Story, Morning Glory. Like, there was so much going on. You know, you, you made more than an album worth of music, right? You're, you're kind of closer to two. And there's so much just drama with Journey over the years and suddenly very recently that we've got so much to cover, man. We just got to we got to get going. Oh. Well, well, the the other thing about this one too is it's really now that we're looking at it. I mean, in nineteen eighty, what was this eighty three? Yeah, it was an album. Now it's almost kind of like album and a half with all the stuff that you get extra. Exactly. Yeah. No. Absolutely. You know. So before I get into, because as we like to do, we kind of go into everything. Like, what was the state of the band at this time? Who produced it? Album artwork, the songs, all that kind of stuff. Who was in the band? I want to start with you. How did you come to know Frontiers? How did you come to know Journey back in the day? Well, 
unfortunately for Mr. Jonathan Kane, I came to um, know them probably the way that most people did through the uh, the video for Separate Ways World Apart. <laughs> oh yes, we're gonna. And get I to remember. That. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I didn't know anything about the band, but that that was the first time that I saw them. I mean, it's it, and. You know, as we'll get into that, uh, very divided on the on the video, but that's how that's the first song I ever remember hearing from Journey. Gotcha. All right, very good. I don't know if I came to that video. I mean, I certainly remember it. I don't know if I saw it when we were kids and was laughing at that point, <laughs> or you know, it's just you always heard them on the radio. You know, I mean, they're mm. on classic rock radio from the from the even you know the Greg Raleigh days. But the Escape album had been huge, right? I mean, right. talking about a diamond seller in the U.S. and lots of big hits on there, especially Open Arms, the big one. But so they're they're just in pop culture. They're around and you just hear their songs on the radio. And so I think that by the time I got to be a teenager, like in high school, and was getting into records, getting to bands, maybe joining like a you know Columbia Records where you get ten for a penny and then you got to <laughs> buy. You got to buy five or six more to fulfill your obligation. I bought Journey's Greatest Hits as soon as it was available. I think it came mm. out in 88. Or- Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline something like that and it's just it's chock full of hits like you know every single song on that album and contrary to greatest hits records certainly at that time before and of course now it's it's standard operating procedure it didn't have and here's an unreleased track or here's a you know a couple tracks that we pen together to throw on here no these were all bona fide hits not to mention 
we as kids saw certain movies over and over again, you know, and Journey just happened to play a role in, in a few of those movies. And I'm thinking, of course, about Caddyshack with any way you want it. <laughs> How many times do we watch Caddyshack over the course of our lives? Well, somewhere between a hundred and a thousand, you know, right? So what? So you know, yeah. Dance. Yeah, any way you want it, that's great, you know. And and in uh, high school, we watch that a ton. In college, I seem to be watching it a ton. Even Rocky, our RA across the hallway, who's like, guys, there's something funny smelling coming from under your door, you know. Can even you he would be like, oh, God, you guys watching Caddyshack? Yeah, I'll come in for a few minutes. That's a couple of lines of dialogue I know. But, you know, they're also in heavy metal, you know, the, the soundtrack and movie that we reviewed on what was that, our fourth show also in tron which was a big i mean actually the video game was kind of a bigger hit for me but the movie was a big disney hit you know and it right. was in there i was too young to watch risky business in 1983 but by the time i got to be 86 or 87 i watched risky business quite a lot and after the <laughs> fall was in risky business you know uh, vision quest was a big Hit, I think for young men our age, you know, uh, yeah. you know about a, a, a wrestler, you know, trying to make his way and and, and fight the big, you know, the, the king wrestler or whatever. And it's like, you think you'll make the weight? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. Yeah. Do I know you? Loud swing, Thompson. Hi. Think you'll make a way? I don't know. I hope so. I hope so too. Meanwhile, he's carrying a tree trunk on the back of his neck, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, yeah, and, and only the young played a big role in that. You know, Whitewater Summer was one that came out in, in high school that was maybe more of an HBO than a big, you know, in the theater thing. And it had your boys, the cult with aphrodisiac jacket on it, it had Bruce Hornsby and the range on it, but it also had be good to yourself by journey on it. You know? So it's like, you would hear them on the radio, but you would also hear them in movies that played a role in our lives. Right. I mean, I will have to admit that I don't ever remember watching two of a kind with Travolta and, uh, of course not. and John. Uh, I remember the song Ask the Lonely, but yeah, that was one of those like, Ooh, I've never seen that movie before probably because I would watch it now and say, now I know why I never saw that. Exactly. Not, not a, uh, not the demographic that was going for in 1983, but yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. You go through those soundtracks and this band is, you know, it's big, but then you start going through these, the pop culture references and the movies and everything else. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're everywhere, every single place. I don't like journey. Okay. Well here, listen to the greatest hits. Oh, wait a minute. I know every song on here. Of course. Every single because, one. Yeah. Yeah. They're all huge hits. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and their previous album, 1981's Escape, massive, massive right. diamond seller. Still not big over here in the UK, not big in Europe. I don't think Journey ever really took the time to come tour over here. You know, like some bands make it in the US and some bands don't make it from the UK. You know, mm. and some some are huge in the US, but they don't make it over here. And for the reason why, from what I can tell, is they never really spent any time touring over here or trying to build a fan base. However, the Frontiers album was the highest charting album in Journey's history in the UK. And I have a feeling a lot of that was built up on the momentum of 
Escape, which was so mm. huge, which had the big hits. For Christ's sake, it had an Atari 2600 game, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, even Kiss didn't have one of those, right? Even the Rolling Stones didn't have one of those, right? But Journey did, you know, which is kind of separates them from a lot of other people, right? So, right. And, and that's an interesting time, too, for the band, because you put out this massive record, and then, I mean, you've got to make another one, but there has to be that, you know, like, how do we top this? How do we keep going forward without losing any momentum? And ultimately, this this record did not sell as many copies, but I mean, still, what, six times platinum? I mean, this right. thing was huge. Well, plus, it might alter your perspective on how you write songs, right? I mean, if you look at the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, Brian May writes, we will rock you. He's like, look, now we're playing mm-hmm. arenas and stadiums. So how can the audience participate? They go, boom, boom, pop. Yeah, pop with their hands and their feet. So now you're thinking, well, how do I sing a song that's going to hit somebody 150 yards away in the back of the stadium instead of you know someone who's down front up here, right? Yeah, because you know once you sell, once you have a 10 million record, 10 million selling record, you're not going back to theaters anytime soon, right? No, yeah, you're headlining and you're headlining the big rooms. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play a theater for 50 nights in a row to get everybody in here. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. You know? And then that's what you. I mean, as, as great as it is for people to play, we want to play an intimate tour. No, you don't. You want to play the the arenas. That's where you make the money. That's where you become superstars. And so I, I think you're right. You have, how are you going to do that now? How are you going to write songs that project out? And also now you have to wrestle with the fact that you have to be on MTV. And so, and we'll get into that later, but like right. everything, I think everything has changed for this band now. Yeah. So you give a little bit of history. Basically, Journey came out of Santana, to be honest with you, kind of of the ashes of Santana. Greg Raleigh, who was Carlos Santana's keyboard player and lead singer, he had a great, I think it was, I don't know, I think it was the Journey VH1 behind the music. He's like, I was going to pick up Neil Sean in high school, but he was, because he was still going to high school. But he yeah. wasn't really going to high school, if you know what I mean, right? Because he's like 15 and he's chopping out to go play guitar with Carlos Santana. Well, of course he is. That's awesome, dude, you know? Yeah. So he was in Santana with Greg Raleigh through, you know, some of their big albums. Then Carlos is going to break up his band and kind of go do another thing. So now they have to kind of put something new together. Greg and Neil get together to form Journey. They pick up Russ, Val- Ross Valerie, who was with the San Francisco Rhythm Section. I think was the name of the band that eventually kind of morphed into Journey with a drummer. And I think they had another guitar player. And the first few albums didn't really light up the charts. You know, they didn't really go anywhere. So they get in a lead singer who isn't really working out. He's just not a good fit for them, right? So Herbie, their manager, finds this guy, Steve Perry. He's like, yeah, why don't you just come and you can sing with the band and, you know, you can try it out or whatever. He comes in and he he sings with them. And then it's obvious the other guy was Rothschild or something like that. What was the other guy's name? I I think something like that. Yeah. (laughs) He he was there and gone too fast. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't on the first three albums. He was, you know, he was brought in, he was touring, like maybe we can do better. They get Steve Perry's like, Oh, no, this will work. And he's done. And and then they start to, to make their records and like, look, their, um, their albums after that started doing well, you know, they start with infinity with Steve Perry. It goes triple platinum in the U S next one evolution in 79, also triple platinum departure triple platinum and then that was the end of greg raleigh greg decided he wanted to get off the road and he kind of helped hand pick jonathan kane who'd been with the babies an english band mm-hmm. that also featured john Waite, right that really thought look we're really talented and we've laid some really good stuff down here 
but it's not working out. We're not getting the crowds we want. We're not getting the record sales we want. You know, we're good, but it just isn't working out. Plus, Ansley Dunbar, who had been kind of a mainstay in Journey and is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from his time there, but he's he's played with so many people. It's unbelievable. He should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Anyway, do you want to know the list? Oh, it was Robert Fleischman was the name of the uh, the singer that, that Steve Perry replaced. All right. But the I mean, the, the list of yeah, people, George Tickner was the original other guitar player. Ansley Dunbar has played with John Mayall, Frank Zappa, Jeff Beck, Jefferson Starship, Niels Lofgren, Eric Burden, Ian Hunter, Lou Reed, David Bowie, Mick Ronson, Whitesnake, Pat Travers, Sammy Hagar, Michael Schenker, UFO, Jakey Lee, Leslie West, Keith Emerson, Flo and Eddie, not to mention Journey, which got him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So he's He's got the chops. All right. Not a bad resume. And but they but he left and uh and they replaced him with Steve Smith, who was on this record. Now, this period from about 1980 to 1985 actually represents the most stable time for the mm-hmm. band from 1973 or whenever they were founded until they broke up basically in 1988. And they really only made these two records. But they were Escape, which is a diamond record, and then it's Frontiers, which is 6X in the US alone. But so then they get Jonathan Cain in, they've got Steve Perry, they've always had Neil and Ross in there, they've got Steve Smith behind the drums. Okay, so now they're ready to do something. And the first thing they do just happens to be Escape, which is enormous, right? <laughs> Comes out in late 1981. So they've got to come up with something for 1983. And they find themselves with Frontiers. And who do they get to produce it? But Mr. Mike Stone, who we know from Whitesnake and from Asia in the early 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, along with Kevin Elson. So they're obviously looking for that kind of big AOR kind of sound, right? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think this this was a, a concentrated effort. That's really what they were looking for. We need to go big. We can't go backwards. And we have to have songs for, that will suit the new kind of dynamic of what we want to play. Plus, there's this new thing called MTV. And so far, we've only done like performance videos, either like live stuff captured Mm. at a concert, or you go to a soundstage and you lip sync it or mime it, as my friends in the UK like to say. Pretend playing your instruments as a live performance and, and shoot it that way. It's like, okay, we might have to branch out and do some produced and concept kind of video. So we'll we'll come back to that though, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So, okay. So they've got it pretty well set here, but you know, they had a pretty big tour with Escape. There's a lot of money coming in. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, the dynamic has suddenly changed because Greg Raleigh and Neil Sean used to write basically all the music. Then Steve Perry comes in. Okay, well, it's Perry and Sean, Perry and Raleigh, you know, maybe a combination of them. Raleigh leaves and then suddenly... Jonathan Kane is writing or co-writing every single song, sometimes with Steve mm-hmm. Perry, sometimes with him and Neil Sean, maybe just one or two of the others. But sometimes he might write stuff on, on his own. It is rare to get a new member in like that. And then all of a sudden, they're in control of all the right. And that's got to be weird, too, for everybody. I mean, obviously, you know, Sean is in charge. Um, it was then, is now. I mean, he is Journey. Right. But for the rest of the guys in the band, it's like, hey, wait a minute, this guy just got here and all of a sudden, you know, he's, you know, spending time with the the big dogs in the band. And, you know, mm-hmm. for somebody like Ross, I mean, I don't know what his deal was, but they were already, I think, already having problems with him now. He doesn't Seems play on every single track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just a weird dynamic in the band because you're right. You know, you have somebody come in who is not a a big known name 
Right. He was in a talent, no doubt. A talent, no doubt about it. Absolutely. But it wasn't like it wasn't like he had a huge career, you know, by on his own. And then they brought him in. He was a member of another band. He comes in. Now he's is he taking over? Like, what's going on here? And, you know, you're kind of interrupting the dynamic. And even though Sean had been there from the beginning, does he even feel like "Eh, we got a little shift here? I mean, you like where the band is going, but does that. Does that start to, to right. rub on you a little bit? How's that feel to you? you know? Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, and then to do the album artwork, I guess they because uh, they worked with Stanley Mouse and Alton Kelly to do a lot of their stuff, especially since Steve Perry had been in the band. And you see this like infinity and departure. It's very colorful. It usually mm-hmm. has some kind of a uh, not usually, but it often has some kind of scarab, a, a scarab, or or maybe yeah. some different kind of animal on there. Mm-hmm. Otherworldly, very colorful and artistic, cool stuff. I guess Jim Welch, he was their art designer for more than 30 years. And, and he said, you know, it was a little bit of a shift. And although it looks to me like a robot, I mean, it basically looks like something that came out after Tron came out to me or, or around it's the not. time of Tron. It's not, but it's no, it, it's close. No, it's not. What is at it? All. There's a note I've got here where it yeah, it looks like a robot. It looks like an alien. But there's a note here that says the alien in Frontiers wasn't really an alien at all. He was a connection to a higher level of listening to Journey. Yeah. It's a fucking alien. Dude. Okay. <laughs> it's I mean, a robot. Imagine... It's a Darth Vader mask. It's something like that, too. <laughs> could you imagine at that pitch meeting where they unveiled? They're like, oh, sweet, an alien. And and he's he's like, well, it's just like, no, 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 no. It's a connect. Okay, dude. It's an alien. All right. Let's just. It, it's a picture that you drew. Thank you so much. It's based on tunnels and <laughs> relativity of time and motion. Light uh-huh. stays the same, but time bends. Like, dude, it's a rock record. Dude. Yeah, we got other stuff to do today. Did you man. see Let's Escape? See. Can you make it yeah. cool like Escape? Thank you. That's what we need. Good but Lord. again, in in 1983, you needed something like this to grab people. To, to say, oh, I know what this is. You know, you want people to have posters on the wall. Mm-hmm. You want, I think in the, uh, I think it's got to be in the Faithfully video where they, right. they take a little sticker and they put it on, put it on the, the bus. bus. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I wanted that sticker so bad. You know, I didn't yeah. even really like the album back then. Like, God, it'd be cool <laughs> to have that sticker, man. I could stick it yeah. on my cabinet. Yeah, that'd be awesome, you know. So yeah, so they they get to work, I guess, in Fantasy Studios in in Berkeley. They work on it in 1982 after they get off the road from Escape. And then February 1st, 1983, it is released. Hard to believe this album is 40 years old because, I mean, (laughs) God, I mean, when it came out, something that was 40 years old would have been something that happened during World War II, man. It's just crazy. Not to mention a completely different genre of music than anybody was listening to at the time. Yeah, to think these these songs are still on the radio today is insane. Because yeah, what in, in 1980 we weren't listening to the greatest hits of the 40s. Right. All right. So most of these songs now are written by Steve Perry and Jonathan Kane. Some mm-hmm. of them, Neil is a co-writer on. Uh, Steve Smith gets a co-write on Back Talk, though I'm not sure he would claim it, and then uh, <laughs> or that he should. And then Kane does, uh, Kane wrote faithfully on his own. I think it came to him pretty quickly. It's like one of those things where it's just like it enters the room, it enters your head. And it's like, oh, here I go. And then in half an hour, he's got a huge hit on his hands, right? You know, yeah. It's kind of amazing. But let's go through it track by track here. And then I also, obviously there are tracks that didn't make it on the album that we are obligated to talk about. Because again, this is one of these situations like what's the story Morning Glory by Oasis or Hysteria by Def Leppard. 
which we reviewed with our buddy Neil from Def Lep Pod, how there was more than an album's worth of material here. There was so much. It's just a highly creative period. And when you've got all these different writers in the band, that's what can happen. Right. And and I can imagine there was stuff that even even the stuff that you see here, there was there were things that were left on the floor at from this time only because yeah, they were they were just going nuts writing stuff. I find it interesting that there's a note here about how it, the the record was ready to go. I thought I thought uh, only the young and Ask the Lonely were like they wrote them afterwards mm-hmm. and then they put them on, but those were apparently ready to go on the record and got swapped out at the last minute. Yeah, like ready to print. And yeah. then the A&R guy who will live, I don't know if he lives in infamy or if he's a <laughs> genius, honestly, to be honest with you, his name is Michael Dilbeck. He's like, no, give me those two songs. We're going to use them on a couple of soundtracks, which I guess mm. helps your profile. It helps sell the band. And then, you know, after Frontiers has gone up and down off the charts, then you have other things to sell to keep them right. in the public eye. I guess it makes sense. And I guess they continue to get paid on stuff that's in movie soundtracks. And that kind of thing. But yeah, what Jackson you're talking about is Ask the Lonely and Only the Young were supposed to be on side two. And they replaced them with Trouble Child, the seventh song, and Back Talk, the eighth song. And we will get to those. This is Sunny Hollywood Pooney. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Why? Somebody has to. But it starts off with separate ways, in parentheses, worlds apart by Perry and Kane, over five minutes. And before we get to the video, I mean, this is a rocker, you know, this is an intense rocker up in your face, got good rhythm to it. That thing that Neil is doing with the guitar, the kind of scraping that he's doing. Yeah. It's iconic, man. It's an amazing rock song for this era. I would be interested to see how they pick this. I mean, this is the heavy hitter on this one, as far as the rock tune. So I've just hit him with it first. Let's go. And that, it's interesting because it's not the the riff is a keyboard riff at the beginning. It's not a guitar riff. That's right. Which was kind of, which was different for a band that you know you think is rock more guitar centered, and certainly not anything that when Raleigh was there they weren't doing anything like this. But I mean, it works and it makes a statement as far as this is what we're doing. We we want arena style songs now. Right, and it's not. A piano or an organ this is straight synth right correct mm, mm, yeah. Mm, yeah yeah you're, you're trying to mirror a you're trying to mirror a guitar riff i mean you want something you want a signature deal out in front first and it's it's a big hit for them i mean mm-hmm. it's it hits number eight on the top 100 it's number one mainstream rock number one your first song off the record was the first release yeah it was the first song off the record the first video it goes to number one mainstream rock top 10 on the billboard 100 which is always good for a rock band and they're off and running because that comes out before the album even comes out right so they release that in january it starts climbing up the charts then the album comes out and everybody gets pretty excited about it now the single version was a minute shorter because it's it's almost five and a half minutes on the record so they trimmed about a minute out of it for the single. I mean, that's just kind of the way they did things. Oh, they can't have a five and a half minute single. Right. Yeah. And the B-side nice. was Frontiers, the title track, which obviously okay. we're going to talk to. But 
honestly, as good as the song is, as much as it's still a live staple today, we, we have to talk about this video, man. It's it's it lives in lore as one of the worst videos ever. Literally, like VH1 did a list of the mm -hmm. top, top twenty-five worst videos, and this was somewhere in the middle. And and I knew that I've I've seen it. It had been a while, and I knew that you know it kind of lived in infamy as far as just the whole thing. Really, I mean, there really is no redeeming part to it. And I said, well, you know, for the show, I'll go ahead and watch it. Oof, 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 oof. So we need to make a a video for the single, right? Okay, yeah. here's five hundred dollars. <laughs> Go. That's what it looks like. They shot it on a pier, I think, in New Orleans. Right. They're like, you know, they're 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 dodging in between pallets, you know, things uh, exactly. stacks of pallets. What? There's a woman, one woman who's walking around like it looks like she just walked up and walked back, walked right. up and walked back. They're jumping around with instruments, no instruments. I mean, Kane is trying to play the air keyboard, which he'll will never live down. Never live that down. Man. But the other thing is, you know, we were talking on the on the wrap up show about Miss Pamela DeBar being mm -hmm. a fashion consultant. No one like that was around for this thing. They just showed no. up in whatever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Steve Perry's wearing an Ocean Pacific T-shirt with no sleeves on it. Correct. Remember Ocean Pacific from the I 80s? Do. I, and I'm thinking, like, I think I have that shirt somewhere, you know, with the no <laughs> right. sleeves. Like, what, what are we doing? Uh, Horrible. Yeah. Was... John playing the air. Well, they all played air everything. In fact, they had to bring in a chair so Steve Smith could play the air drums because it's hard <laughs> to do that standing up. But, yeah. I mean, he, what's Jonathan supposed to do? Everyone pretend like you're playing instruments. Like, okay, you know, he's got his hands yeah, doing that. What's yeah. he supposed to do? And then they put their instruments in there. I'm like, well, like, okay, why didn't they just do that before? Mm -hmm. Or, but then, but then they go and like his keyboard is like Velcro to the wall, and he's playing it up on the wall. I'm like, that makes even less sense. I'd rather see him <laughs> play the air keyboard. Like, why would they duct tape it to the wall? And, I don't and know. Then it at one point in time, Steve Smith is playing drums that are like oil drums or something like, right. like they set him up and so, okay. Yeah. And he looks like he just rolled off the construction line or something. He, yeah. Really, I mean, really he does not look good. Well, they all kind of said, look, we're not a great looking band anyway, but he was probably the roughest. I mean, he was losing his hair. It's obviously mm. very thin. He had this horrible mustache that like balding men will have. And they're trying to take attention away from the fact that they're going bald, you know, and maybe needed to shave. And it's a little a twerp of a drummer. Usually the drummer are like Dean Castronova, like they're big, strong guys, yeah. you know, like Matt Sorum. Not this guy, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. Not to mention that model in the video who's kind of walking around allegedly tempting the guys. Okay, Steve's girlfriend, Sherry, for whom he wrote, Oh, Sherry, and was a big hit mm -hmm. the next year. We can get to that later. She did not like her being around. She was having a hard time with it, and she was giving him a hard time. And, like, even John was like, Sherry was giving Steve a really bad time about that girl. I didn't really get it, you know? But you'll notice in the next videos, there's no girls around. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think that's that's a very big problem for the band at this point in time. I, I know Kane said something about how Perry showed up with some that weird haircut that he had, and mm -hmm. he was like, what, "What are you doing? You used to have the really cool long yeah. rock star hair. What is going on?" Now you have I the think, butt cut with the mullet. Like this sucks. Dude. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but I, I think she she was definitely hanging around. I, I think he was very much in love with her wanted her around all the time, but that just did not mix for the band. There's right. there's like lady time and then there's time with the band where it's we're working here. Yeah, we're gonna be there all night long, all day. 
yeah, there's going to be women hanging around, but that's just how it goes. This is not a game for the faint of heart. Right. Between, yeah. between recording, being on the road, which we'll get to later here in a minute. Mm-hmm. It just, this was not going to work. And I think for a while she was like with him on tour and that was a big no-no for the rest of the For family. everybody else? Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Her, 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 her. But look, overall, the song is great. Killer, early 80s rock song. Right. Love it live. You know, it, it's it's a big part of their catalog as far as I'm concerned. It's an important part of their catalog. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it definitely sets the tone for the... It, it's It's strange because I was thinking about this. I, if you work the math out on the giant, you know, whiteboard that I have in the hollowed out volcano of the mm-hmm. Action Jackson uh, lair, lair, yeah, it, it's this shouldn't work. I shouldn't like this music. It's it's kind of it's it's poppy AOR kind of stuff, but it's really good. They really know how to write this. They know how to write songs. They know how to write. If you if they know how to write musical parts that fit together that aren't always the same like ross valerie i think does not get enough credit for what he's doing on the bass right down it on in the basement steve smith he's playing the drums but like not pocket drumming no he's very good yeah there's no yes. doubt about it. yeah how many times on the show have we said look on paper we should laugh asia out of the room we should have nothing Correct. to do with him and yet you put on those first two asia albums and we're hopping around and we're singing every lyric and we're mm-hmm. thinking about all the members of the band, like we just love it. I can't tell you why. I just right. do. And yeah. Journey's very much the same of that kind of early '80s AR. Hell, they have the same damn producer. Yeah, absolutely. And it, there are other bands that I was thinking of where they're kind of in the same genre. I'm like, these are this is terrible. It's, Toto. it's terrible. Toto, uh, I was actually thinking of Survivor too. Sure, is one of those bands where it's like you tried but you fail. I think this guy, these guys, just had it all together. They they were they could they could walk the line between putting out a record that guys would like to listen to in the Camaro, mm-hmm. but also that you could bring your lady to the show and have the nice snuggle time with the lighters out, and you could put it on and listen to it over and over and over again, and everybody could enjoy it, not just one section of people. Well, see, I think they had the talent there. You had Steve Perry who could write a ballad or a love song in his sleep. You've got mm-hmm. Sean who is a rocker by heart right. and can come up with these killer riffs. And then you've got John Kane, who is this incredible piano player who can create melodies out of thin air and a talented writer in his own right. So you mix all the different ones together and it's just a perfect storm for them at this time. Right. Now the second song, Send Her My Love, is actually the fourth single off the record. Okay. And the B-side is Chain Reaction. It didn't go as high as, as some of the others. I think 23 Hot 100, 27 on Adult Contemporary. I always like this one. I mean, obviously, this isn't a rocker. This is a ballad. Send her mm-hmm. my love. But I mean, after you get to the hard and heavy separate ways, send her my love is a nice change of pace. And it's a lovely song. Yes. And but and if you listen to this one, I think we're going to start to put together a theme here of one person being away from another person and it's hard. And yeah, mm-hmm. this song is kind of, it's definitely a departure from the first one. It slows way down. 
And it really picks up though at the end with the solo. I really like what he does at the end. That kind of that kind of puts the the journey stamp on it and makes it not just kind of a flat song. Flat like love song. Yeah, no, I right. agree. And, and I, yeah. I was kind of surprised to find this was a Perry Kane pen track because I, I just figured, oh, that sweet guitar stuff he does at the end there. This he Neil must have penned this with them, but he didn't. This is just Perry Kane. Right, which I I have a feeling that even though his name isn't on there, I kind of they they, they had to have like a Neil plays at the end. You fill it in from there. There's no, mm-hmm. I don't think they wrote that for him. I just don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. But the video is them like live in a stadium, and then you pull back, you see, yeah, it's a football stadium, like just outside of the, mm-hmm. you know a big city or whatever, and and so like that's their life is playing to 50,000 people or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's just who they are now. But yeah, no, no models in this one following the band around. Well, no, so. I mean, it runs stage. <laughs> yeah. I think woof, 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 woof. don't, don't make, don't make her upset. She's, you're not going to like that. The the thing that I didn't like about that video is I, I think it's like a tick faster when they play it live. And mm-hmm. I'm like, nah, the, the way, the way it sounds on the record, I kind of like that better. I don't like when they up tempo songs, even though like, you don't really, you don't want to take the crowd out of it, but, but, but that like kind of happens, you know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, in, in all live music, mm-hmm. usually you just play it just a couple of beats faster. Right. Usually, I mean, it just, it just yeah. happens that way. It's hard to be exactly precise, and you don't want to be slower. So, if it's going to do anything, all right. So then we get to the third song. Here's another gear shift back to Chain Reaction, mm-hmm. another bit of a rocker. And I don't know. This was one of those that it kind of evolved into a radio hit because there's so many hits on the album that eventually mm. DJs are like, well, look, I've listened to the whole album. These aren't the only three or four songs on here. There's some others on. And and Chain Reaction is one that has been kind of an album track, a deep track that DJs on FM radio have been playing for years, even though it was the B-side to Send Her My Love. And it starts with the drums. Again, like you said, a nice gear change from Send Her My Love. The vocals are a little light on here. Yeah, it's They kind of have, like they're just kind of on there to, to not be it have it be an instrumental kind of the call and re- a call and response yeah boom, boom. chain boom, reaction boom. Yeah. Chain yeah. reaction. yeah exactly yeah so and he's he's not really singing a whole bunch on the on the main part and i think that was a big problem for him as for perry as the years went on he sings his face off yeah he does and it's hard to sing that every night on every so he doesn't get a break like there is no keith richards coming on to you know else he, he we're gonna have to hit a couple of keith songs no he sings every single song and i think he was a little happier when it was the back and forth between him and raleigh but now it's you know you've got maybe you've so. got to be out there all the time he doesn't get a break he doesn't get everything so on a song like this i think maybe it was maybe to give him a little bit of a break like you don't have to you can't sing that high for the entire show That's a good point there, you know, and you're right. I mean, look at him sing open arms. Look at him sing mm-hmm. faithfully. Look at the, look at his face. Look at his neck. You know, yeah. he is 
belting that out like he means it, you know? That's what drove so many people to it. It wasn't just the way that he sung that his voice sounded. It's like, look at him. He's genuine. He's singing these songs from his heart. And I was thinking about that on the Separate Ways video. Like, when he's by himself, obviously, you're not on stage. You don't have a microphone. You know, you were on the wharf. You've got to do something. But it seems like when he sings high, he kind of, like, contorts himself. Mm-hmm. So, like, is that is that a thing that you're doing? Is that a stage move? Or, like, are you really doing that because you kind of get to give yourself something extra to hit? squeezing it out of himself literally you know so yeah i mean that takes a toll on you and that stinks too because everybody else in the band i mean you could play the guitar forever right it it could be a thousand degrees 12 degrees you know you played for three hours last night who cares but the voice is is something that if it goes bad on you it's going to be bad for a while hard to maintain yeah correct correct and i think that was another another sticking point too for perry was after a while i was like i can't do these tours like this anymore yeah because they did over a hundred shows on the frontiers tour in 1983 but then what's interesting to me is they did not release this as a single it was the b-side to center my love which was the last Mm. of the four singles but they did make a video and the video Mm. was them on a sound on a on a stage i mean this is a produced video basically in a three-wall room but one of the walls has a window and there's a table in it And sometimes you see the guys obviously jumping off of something, falling past the window, obviously onto like, you know, one of those big things where you, you know, a cushion or where they catch jumpers in or whatever. And they do that a few times. And then sometimes Steve is in the room singing to himself. Sometimes the other guys are at the table singing to him. And then one by one, they say something to him, sing it to him, and they walk off. And Steve's there by himself. (laughs) And like, sometimes he's strutting around the room, kind of acting in a weird way. I'm like, God, this is this is this is worse than separate ways. It really is, you know. It's it's very very odd. And again, there was no there's no girls in the video because you couldn't do that. But it was weird to me. Like you had four singles. This would have been the fifth. It's the fifth video they made. I don't know. Weird. I had never seen it before. We did uh, research for the show. Yeah, I don't know why they would have spent money to do that. Whether it was a promo deal or was this like you know some other market that you were trying to appeal to? Right. I don't know because I mean it had to, it was money and time that they spent. It's we. It's strange if if they had shot it live. Okay, well, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll use it. Maybe we won't. Like Center My Love. It's like, oh, we need one more. Okay, let's get them on tour doing Center My Love. Right. That's easy. But to come up with an idea and shoot it, that is a little strange that they would have not released it. Like, what was the purpose of that? Well, I don't know that they didn't release. Well, I mean, they released the video, but yeah, they didn't release the single. At least not in America. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) It all made sense at the time, I'm sure. Again, that's one that's really grown on me over the years because DJs were like, separate ways is overplayed. Faithfully, you know, Center of My Love, those are all overplayed. But here's one chain reaction that's cool. It's got some cool stuff in it. It's right. got some music. You're right about the lyrics and singing a bit, but the music is cool, very journey. It, but it's got that, it's got that like stomping bump, 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 bump. But it's, it, you know, this, it, so if you listen to it on the radio, you can say, oh yeah, I like this song. You know, you're driving in the car or whatever. It's a, it, it's a, it's a nice, other track to hear besides the ones that you always do from this record. And Neil did co-write that with Jonathan and Steve. And I feel like you can tell that that's more of a Neil Sean kind of a track to me. I think it's a theme throughout the rest of this record is you can, if you didn't, if I didn't tell you anything, you just close your eyes and listen. You can say, okay, I think Neil wrote that one. Yes, he did. Cause the, the guitar is a little more present in his tracks. I think you're right about that. But then we moved to track four after the fall Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now this isn't, I wouldn't call this a rocker necessarily, mm-hmm. 
but it's not really a bad, it's definitely not a ballad either. So it's kind of in the middle there. And the single, again, they cut out 35 seconds out of it because they don't want these super long songs on the radio kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I like this song. I didn't remember it as well uh, as some of the others, despite the fact that it was a single. But then I listened to the whole thing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember this one. But I don't know. What, what's your take on this one? I, I'm in the same boat with you. I don't I didn't really remember this one. It, on paper, this shouldn't work out. I, I wish I knew musical terms better because it, it's very pleasing the way that they the lyrics fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes bum 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 bum. Like it just it's it sticks in your it's very easy to listen to. Yeah. And then the chorus is easy to listen to. This is one of those ones where it's slower, but I think you can play it in a big arena because it's it, the it, he's singing on the choruses kind of in a big way and you could you could have people singing with you yeah i mean i for an album cut i like it a lot yeah and and uh, there is a little it looks like neil at least the video neil is singing to to steve you know, there's a little bit of back and forth in there mm-hmm. you know they're kind of telling the story and that kind of yeah. thing the video is great they're all in their tuxedos which is just kind of funny anyway mm-hmm. it, it kind of starts off with steve there's this mannequin between them right because again you're not allowed to have live no. models on the set nope, anymore nope, nope, nope. so it's kind of between neil and steve they're kind of talking about how horrible she is to him or whatever then they go back <laughs> into the corner where the band is all in their tuxes and they're playing and they're taking turns up up it's it's very odd video, even for the early 80s then. I thought it was amazing the way Neil could go down onto his knees to play in the tux, to play that solo, even go all the way down on his back, like better than Ace Fraley. I'm like, wow, he's really flexible, isn't he? <laughs> kind of amazing there. Another thing to know about this one, though, is Ross does not play bass on this. Ross, who had basically played on every single Journey track until this record, he does sing backup on this because he's always been part of the Journey chorus sound. But the famous Randy Jackson of American Idol and other fame played bass on this record. And he was the one who would eventually replace Ross, not only for Raised on Radio in 1986 and that tour, but this year because they had a falling out with Ross and Steve last year and they had to get a new bass player. So Randy did come back, which we can talk more about later. Yes. Although it's interesting because on the, on the single cover, it's, it's a picture of Ross with the rest of the band. Well, sure. So yeah. I, I mean, was he, was he sick? Was he, I mean, what was going on that this was the only track that he wasn't on? Was this recorded after the rest of them, after he had kind of already. Yeah. Been, I, I don't knows. know. But he, he was already starting to have problems. Maybe, maybe that escape tour burned him out. Maybe he's like, okay, mm. now I really have money. Like I always had a little money before. Now I've right. got that fuck you money and I can start to not take care of myself. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But he was welcomed back immediately, you know, when they when they reformed years later. B-side was only Solutions, which was not an album track, but it did end up in the movie Tron. Not mm. on the soundtrack, because I think they got it there too late, but it's in the movie in the credits. 23 in the Hot 100, number 30 on Adult Contemporary. And it was in the movie Risky Business. So that all of a sudden sets it in a certain place. <laughs> Automatically elevates it. Automatically. Yeah, which I didn't even... 
I didn't even remember it until you know you go back and you watch the movie and you're like, oh yeah, that that's in there. Yeah, I really just remember all the music was my Tangerine Dream, right? And so that kind of mm-hmm. was the overarching theme of the whole movie was that music behind it. But that wasn't obviously the only stuff that was in it. <laughs> of interest. Okay, so the fifth song and the final song on the first mm-hmm. side of Frontiers is Faithfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of call this the big one, even though technically separate ways went higher in the charts. To me, this is bigger because Journey's biggest song on the previous album was Open Arms, which is, you know, get your lighters out, hold your sweetheart. This is Open Arms Part 2. And it's a fantastic video in that it takes place on the road and it shows Mm -hmm. them on the road. I think it was taken out of a a VHS called Frontiers and Beyond, which was like, it it had a performance video to show them on stage, but also showed them kind of backstage and them living their lives and stuff like that. So you could take excerpts from the song for the video, but you can also kind of show them interacting with their families or, you know, being goofy on the road or, hey, Mm -hmm. now we're going through the Everglades. Okay, now we're going through mountains, you know, now it's snowing, now it's, you know, we're in the desert, you know, now we're in the plains, you know, whatever. And it's it's kind of a classic road video that now it's kind of a cliche, but I feel like this was the first one that really showed that in like a four minute video. And eventually power ballads, would kill rock and roll. I mean, that's that was the downfall of the of music in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. This was not one of them. This is the king daddy of all power ballads. It's fantastic when you listen to it. It's overplayed, so I can I can see how you would say, oh, "I don't like that song." If you really listen to it, this is a fantastic song. Perry sings his face off on yeah, this. And 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 I, I really have a hard time believing that he didn't write the lyrics for this because what he was going through at the time, I mean, this is him. I mean, just this heartache of having a successful band, but being away from home and everything that you love, you know, the people, everything, you know, you kind of have you kind of live in these two worlds, like you, you know, trying to keep them connected, you know, to it to a family or a loved one or something like that. It's just, it's heart wrenching when you listen to it. And yeah, yeah, that whole thing about how, you know, you're just on the bus for 9,000 hours driving through Wichita, Kansas or something to play another tour. I mean, another uh, show. It's fantastic. And then when the guitar comes in at the end, it's just, I mean, it's, it's perfectly written. It's, it's, it's a great song. It really is. Like being a part ain't easy on this love affair, you know. Yeah. Music of man ain't always what it's supposed to be, you know. It's mm-hmm. and you take the music out, like I was on the road during the height of my career all the time. My wife doesn't say she gets it, you know, she doesn't have to be a rock and roller to understand right. what the these lyrics mean, right? You know, yeah. You know, Whoa, yeah. get those and, lighters out, man. Right. Light up the stadium. Number 12 on the Hot 100. Number 12 on Adult Contemporary. It's hard for me to believe that it didn't go higher on those charts to me. Right. But... Yeah, I can't I can't believe this isn't a number one song. I really can't. Because it's got it's got all of the it's got all of the ingredients for it. It's got the it's softer, 
It's got the rocking part at the end of it. It's got, you know, like you said, the chorus, the whole nine yards. I, it, yeah, it's just, it really is. It really is a song that, that it's 40 years old, but you hear it today and it's still, like you said, you could, you could relate that to somebody who has nothing to do with rock and roll. It's just, it's a very well-written and very contemporary even today. Well, and there's a difference between something that might be a bigger hit and that it got higher on the chart at a certain time. But then mm. what is a timeless classic that maybe right. due to the time it came out or what it was up against or what other people were pushing at the time, it didn't maybe climb up as high, but it's remembered for so mm. very long. And the video kind of helps with that, I feel like. And it was the second single released in April after the fall was 3rd of July. Center of My Love was September. So, you know, every few months, they've got a new single, you know, and they're hitting the road, yeah. like 110 dates or something like that in 1983. So they're out there working. And yeah, Jonathan came up with this and just kind of put it together. And I think Steve got a hold of it. It's like, yeah, I can, I can do this justice. What's also interesting is I don't know if it's because it was, they had, you know, like a seven inch and a 12 inch or they, they tried it in a lot of different countries, but their B sides included frontiers and back talk and edge of the blade and sender my love. I think depending on which single or which country you're in or all that oh, okay. kind of stuff. So they knew they were on to something here because, uh, because it sold very well. And I think it did pretty well in the UK faithfully. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those songs too, where as soon as it starts, you know what it is. I mean, there isn't like, eh, is that is that this or is it that? No, you know, it's only one. I, I'd be interested to see what the number one songs were at that time that you said, huh, I don't even remember that, but that was right. the number one hit. Okay. Yeah. But that was side number one. Mm -hmm. Those five songs, which we've heard on American rock radio, all of our lives, all five of those songs that comprises the first side of Frontiers. So there's no surprise, especially on the back of Escape, that this sold six million. It's almost like only six million. Are you kidding me? You know, kind of thing. But let's yeah, get into of... the second side because yeah. that's where things change on this record. Yeah, it, it's a real night and day kind of deal. And a night and day. It's, I don't know. We And we've talked about this before. When you've got the songs, where do you put them? And I mean, they definitely front loaded this thing. Yeah. No doubt about it. But we'll, we'll get to some songs that were supposed to be on there in just a minute. Mm -hmm. The first song on the second side, the sixth song on the record is Edge of the Blade. Now, this is rocking, and it's a lot harder edge than really anything on the first side. And that includes, to me, even separate ways. And yes, once again, you're like, oh, it's rocking hard. Who wrote this? Yeah, Neil Sean's one mm -hmm. of the three writers on yeah. this song. Because it's kind of obvious when you listen to it, like Neil must have written that. And he did. I mean, Kane delivers here too, but uh, but great solo work from Neil uh, on this, yeah. especially as he plays out at the end. Yeah, because I mean, when you, when you think about Separate Ways, he only has a real short run and then he has a, like a little three note kind of bridge in there for a guitar solo. Yeah, this is much more what you were used to from Neil. And I think that, I don't know why this is on the back side of this. It, it, this, this rocks a lot more. And well, I did you it, see what was on the front side? <laughs> Five radio hits on the front I side. Did. You know? <laughs> I, did. I just want, I just wonder where, how the negotiations went to put this together. And I wonder if, I wonder if Neil was kind of feeling a little, it, 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 like I said, you kind of, you're kind of caught in between. Like you want, you know, these songs are great, but you're like, but I've got some stuff too that I want to put on here. And th this is nice because I think if you're an old school Journey fan, this this makes you you'll like okay, this. This is what I was looking for. Right. This this connects you. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If they were going to have another single 
from the 10 songs that were on the album, <laughs> this would have been the next one. I mean, the, I think or, so. or could have been, you know, it yeah. is, it's, it's the best uh, on the second side. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think it fits and it's, it's, it's very AOR to me. I think it would have fit fine at the time. Okay, so check out Edge of the Blade. I think you'll like it. Now, mm -hmm. these two songs, seven and eight, Troubled Child and Back Talk, these were not supposed to be on the album. So I assume they're originally slated to be B-sides. And for the most part, they, they kind of were. I mean, one of the B-sides, the Faithfully, was Back Talk. And so you, you see, okay, we wrote them. They're not quite up to stuff. We'll, we'll put them away. They're going to put only the young and- uh, Ask the Lonely. And Ask the Lonely on there. They're yeah. pulled off. They're put on soundtrack. So we get these two. Now, in doing research, Ultimate Classic Rock said the Trouble Child is the low point on the album, the seventh song. I, I don't love it. It's not horrible, but it's not great. It's very keyboard heavy to begin. It mm. sounds very 1983 to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And the keyboard's kind of cheesy to me throughout. Like, it, it's not very rocking at all. It's almost like they heard what the British kids, new wave kids were doing, and they tried to mimic some of that almost. Yeah. It's it's not terrible, but but I don't like it much. It, yeah, it. I think this one suffers from the fact that everything else is so great on this, uh, especially on the first side. You kind of get to this, and if this was on another album, maybe it would have been, you would have liked it better, but it, it kind of falls short, and you're right. If I didn't didn't tell you who this was and i didn't tell you what year it came out just listen you would have said what well, that had to be what 82 83, 83 yeah right. the, that, it's pretty obvious the, yeah the keyboard just brings it down it kind of it once they get to the chorus it kind of rocks out a little more right. this one kind of has a darker like tone to it that doesn't kind of really fit with the rest of the the stuff so far mm -hmm. so yeah i think this one mm. I wonder how that meeting went too, where they get there like, okay, ready to go. We see me flip the switch. Hang on a minute, guys. I've got an idea. Okay. Those weren't supposed to be on there for a reason. So right. what, why are we doing this? Some suit just changed our record. What the hell? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So I guess it just shows you that they really didn't have ultimate control over this. If, if the A&R guy said jump, they said, sir, yes, sir. We will go ahead and do that for you. Okay, I guess. I don't know. What, what, but being with CBS, I mean, that's a big company. They can kind of right. dictate what they want to do. I, and I think that's what it comes down to. Even though you sold a zillion copies of your last record, they're still going to tell you, this is what we want to put out. This is the product we think will sell the most, and this is what we're doing. Yeah, and it's not like those other songs weren't good enough. They're very good. That's why we want to use them elsewhere. Right. And we'll get to that. Now, look, every song on the second side is written by Steve Perry, Neil Sean, and Jonathan Cain, except... The eighth track, Back Talk, which is Steve Perry, Jonathan King, and drummer Steve Smith. Mm -hmm. And I can tell why, because the drums on here 
are different and they're right up front, you know, and mm-hmm. you can kind of tell that it was probably something that he was working on. Yeah. And then they moved some of the stuff that they were working on into it. Right. So I give it points for being different, but this is the worst song <laughs> on the record. This is <laughs> bad. I mean, points for being different. Okay. You want to try something experimental. The mm-hmm. first side is all hits. The second side, you can be different. Fine. And his drums are really turned up, but I don't, I don't even think it's a journey song to be honest with you. This this does sound a little weird. What I like is, the, and and again, uh, musical terms are escaping me. So the bass is is kind of mirroring the bass drum, but then mm-hmm. he like slides at the end of the refrain. He's at the, that little boom, which sounds kind of cool. The, Neil gets to shred on this one. There aren't any keyboards, but yeah, I, I think this. It, if we go to our what song could you have left off the record? This would have been it. in the middle he's back talk i'm yeah. like this sucks <laughs> and then it's and then as i was listening to it again to try and you know say something nice about it if you listen to the lyrics on this thing is this another relationship song that he's having a problem with the old lady too much back talk mm-hmm. i don't know maybe 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 <laughs> so but you know that title back talk that everyone can kind of relate to that you know everyone mm-hmm. knows what back talk is and, and hey they've done it or have experienced it so it's just not a good song and especially when you think about what they took out to put it on there right oh yeah. my god that's a sin that's a crime against music <laughs> and humanity man it's just awful awful and it it should have been a, a b-side or just something that was left you know it's like maybe you get it on box set down the road one day it's just not or not I mean, it, a good journey it's, it's what it should have been i mean it well it it should have been what it was intended for probably which is a b-side you right. know one of those things where you listen to you're like oh yeah that's all right but yeah. i'm glad they didn't put it on the record exactly all right so let's move to song number nine or four on the second side frontiers the title track now, I had forgotten about this song, and it's a little epic, you know, at the beginning. It's almost a little proggy, you know, mm-hmm. when you kind of start off here. Lots of keys, a bit of a departure from the rest of the album, but still, it, it kind of fits to me. It still fits with the overall, but there's some odd stuff going on in this song. This is this is an atypical Journey song, too. This is, this is where I got a little bit confused here on the record, because it seems like with Frontiers and Rubicon, the 10th track... It, it seems like they're they're trying to they're trying to have a theme, some kind of theme about you know reach out, go farther, you know wh- what okay. else is out there in life. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, okay, frontiers, I get that from the title track, but like you're kind of late to do this now. And am I reading too much into this, or what's going on? This does sound a little different. It it has the call uh, call and response there, kind of at the end, and you know we're trying to say, are you know are all the heroes gone east of Eden? You know we all need new frontiers. And, That's right. And I'm like, are we talking about John Steinbeck here? What what's going on here? I don't even know. I know, I know. It's it's odd, and there's some odd sounds during the bridge that I don't even mm-hmm. know if they're keyboard. It's just kind of weird. Whereas a guitar, it's it's a little strange to me. 
I don't love it, but I kind of like it on the album. It's just weird to me that this is the title track of the album. It's pretty much buried mm-hmm. in the album. And I look back at some stats. They didn't play it every night. They may only played it less than half of the time or something like that. Or they, they switched it out and they didn't bring it back. So I don't know. They had a lot to choose from to play off this album. They played a lot of stuff off of the album. And I yeah. guess this was one was like, eh, you know, we could take or leave this one. And then I wonder too, you know, you said this is the title track. Were you thinking about something different when you envisioned how this record was going to go? And then other songs came in that were a lot better, bigger hits. And so you just kind of put them on there like this does not fit at all with the first side. I mean, it's this is almost like two different worlds we're living in here. I know. And, and, and Frontiers is a cool name for a record. And it's like, look, all their albums really since Steve had come to the band, you know, Infinity and Departure and Escape, mm-hmm. they're all one word. So I think they kind of mm-hmm. wanted to continue on that theme uh and so they called it frontiers they could have called it rubicon i guess or something like that it's interesting to me that you know last year they put out their album which i think was about their 15th or so and they called it freedom and freedom was going to be the title of raised on radio that was going to be the name of the album and then steve perry said no no i don't want to call it freedom i'm going to call it raised on radio and it got changed because that would have fit with the theme freedom you know escape departure Hmm. infinity frontiers but you know it's just weird how these things happen and it causes rifts which we are still going to talk about okay but let's get to the 10th song rubicon yeah powerful singing by perry uh, Mm -hmm. on this one he is overdubbed by himself which is probably hard to recreate live but mike stone did that with john wetton and created some really nice songs with Mm -hmm. it so that's all good it's synth not piano there's there's power chords from neil and there's power synth from Jonathan. Oh, I, I mean, g- given the kind of difference between the first one, shock laden full of hits, and the second one with some experimental and odd and even bad stuff, I think it fits. And it's it's not a bad way to end the album, Rubicon. Right. It, it usually, we've talked about this before, your last track is kind of a garbage dump where you say, well, we need another one. And here you go. You're probably not going to listen to it anyway. I, I, I kind of like this song. The, the, yeah. the guitar riff is rocking at the beginning. The keyboard kind of kills it for me a little bit. That that sounds a little dated. But it, I mean, it's, it's a rocking tune. It, had you released this uh, as a single, I mean, you already had a million of these things on there, so probably not. But this is a nice one to find at the end of the record where you can kind of say, okay, well, you know, I don't want to say it salvages the second side, but after the middle the back talk, yeah, you were yeah. kind of like, eh, so this is a nice way to end it, yeah. You know, for people with cassettes who wanted to listen to separate ways over and over again, you play separate ways, you flip it, and then you can listen to Rubicon, and then you yeah. flip it, and you can listen to separate ways. You know, but no, I mean, yeah, it's the second side's just odd. But if you had those other songs in there, I mean, just imagine. And it sold six million without those other hits. So if you've thrown those hits in there, but see now here comes the question: 
and, and I like Mr. Sonny Pooney, Mr. Hollywood Pooney, <laughs> our buddy who grew up in the Bay Area and loves Journey. I think he loves this album. And I'm pretty sure that he and Stephen Michael have spoken about it, if not on other shows that he's done. Like, if you threw only the Young and Ask the Lonely on there, does this just continue to blow up? Does it go to 15 million in sales? Does Steve Perry not do his solo album? You know, is raised on the radio, come back. Does Ross Valerie get his act together? for good or does he say now nah, that's it i'm totally done now i don't have to do anything it's an interesting question as far as what would the trajectory of the band been if they had ditched those two and maybe you still give these two songs to those two soundtracks but you get them on this album i don't know yeah yeah i don't know i don't know either but it, it, i i don't know i mean from what i know about steve perry i think that he he was having some people talking in his other ear at this point in time, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't, they didn't uh, show up here to see guns and roses. They came to see you, man. Right. I think that's the, I think he had that like, you know, Oh, you're the star of the band. And so I don't know, would he have gone on to make the, the, his solo record? I don't know. I remember Neil said at some point in time, like, Perry said he wanted to have more control or something or write different songs. And he's like, you write all the songs now. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And then he goes and makes that record. And he's like, it sounds exactly like what we were doing before, but it, this doesn't make any sense. So it's I don't softer. know, <laughs> but I will say, go back to Remember you said the greatest hits journey's greatest hits record. Mm-hmm. It didn't have any new songs on it. It kind of did because it had only the young and asked the lonely. Well, right. Yeah, which you had to be because, and that's the thing too. Like back then, like were you really going to buy the soundtrack to these movies? Now, Vision Quest was a little different. We could probably talk about that on a on a different show. Definitely, yeah. But if you were a Journey fan, it was kind of like getting new tracks because they were hits that you couldn't get before on a Journey record. Right, you could buy the singles. Right. But I mean, while some may have bought the Vision Quest soundtrack, nobody bought the Two of a Kind soundtrack. At least not Journey fans. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John fans may have, but those generally aren't Journey fans. Hi, guys. This is Chris Slade, drummer of ACDC and many others. And you're listening to the ugly, I mean, really ugly, Werewolf in London. So in 2006, they re-release, you know, remastered with additional tracks because Only the Young was recorded, was supposed to be on the album. They hold it for Vision Quest, which doesn't come out till 1985. So you're talking two mm. years later. Yeah. But it was a big hit for them. Number nine on the top one, on the Hot 100. Number three on Mainstream Rock. And it's something that they actually opened with on the Raised on the Radio Tour. Basically, every night they, they started with Only the Young because it was still kind of like the new single, right, in 1986. Right. It was the one they had not played a whole lot live and that kind of thing. So, so it's a big deal. You know, again, they shaved about 12 seconds out of the album version versus the mm. single version. I thought it was interesting that uh, I'll Fall in Love Again by Sammy Hagar was the B-side because it was on the record, because it was on the same soundtrack but uh, but the vision quest soundtrack did pretty well it's a platinum selling soundtrack mm-hmm. so and then the, and the single did fine obviously right it got under the top then it's got madonna on it it's got dio on it it's got you know red rider doing lunatic fringe you know, foreigners on it don henley's on it you know john waits on it with the song holly knight wrote for him so it's it's a pretty big time soundtrack to be a part of and for kids mm-hmm. our age it wasn't exactly the breakfast club or something like that, but it was a movie that at the time we're 12, 13 years old, people are taking notice of this movie and we, we know about it, you know? Right. 
And and I think it was I don't remember it that young. I think I remember it in well, I definitely caught up with it probably at the end of high school or definitely in college. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're like, why did I on VHS? Why have I not seen this movie before? It it's it's a great you know it, the the movie is great, the the themes are great, and the soundtrack is just awesome. Yeah, I think I think we've got a we've got another show here just on Vision Quest. Yeah, absolutely. We can do a Vision Quest show. Yeah, absolutely. We could, you know. But anyway, I mean, it was a cool movie. Great soundtrack, and I think that they basically it was clips from the movie in the in the video, you know. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so that's another big hit for them. It's also kind of a sad story about it because you know the Ohio Make Wish Foundation had a, a sick kid, and I think the Cleveland Clinic, his name was Kenny, he was dying, so his wish was to meet Journey. So they came and met him, and they gave him a copy of this on a Walkman playing only the young and nobody had heard it yet. Right. Because it wasn't, mm-hmm. the movie wasn't out. Nobody heard it yet. And so, and, and he loved it, you know, and he kind of died the next day. Like as far as we know, he died listening to the song and it really broke the guy's journey up. They had to have yeah. me like, take me into another room. So I don't cry in front of this kid, you know, so I don't ruin his parents day. You know, it's, it's gotta be tough. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's amazing that, you know, you can touch people and help them that way. But that that will take a toll on your heart there, man. And, and I know that there's a there's an it, there was an interview about that, and Kane was saying, you know, it, it struck him so deeply that this kid could have anything, like make a wish. I mean, it's that's a big time deal. You get right. what you want, and you want to meet me? Who am I? I'm just some dope that plays the keyboard. Like yeah. it, it was so profound for him that this kid was such a huge fan. No, it still breaks him up to this day. You see him crying on VH1 about it, you know, 20 yeah. years later, you know, I mean, how can you not, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's horrible. And Kane is a very Christian man. And so, uh, you know, when you see kids who are in pain and sick, that doesn't make anyone happy. So the fact right. that they play that role at the end of that kid's life, you know, that, I yeah. guess that's a positive, but no, it was asked the lonely off the two of a kind soundtrack that came out in January of 84. So, you know, Every three months again, now they've got a new single out. Mm-hmm. Its B-side was Trouble Child, by the way. They didn't take something else off the Two of a Kind soundtrack. They took one of their own, <laughs> which was always supposed to be a B-side. Number three, U.S. mainstream rock. And no, I did not see this because I wasn't a sappy girl or a gay guy, which is, I think, the only people who like Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta in 1984. But yeah, I mean, this this song is pretty killer, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. It, it's pretty rocking. And just the lyrics, and when they stop in the middle, it's like, when you're feeling love and fair, you just ask the lonely. When yeah. you're lost in deep despair, the way he sings it with the little drum, broom, you just ask the lonely and the power chords, the the power from Neil Sean. This is a great song. This is a big hit for them.
And then, and I wonder too, you know, this comes out, it's a big hit. Are you scratching your head again? I mean, obviously it paid off in the long run, but you think, why didn't we have this on the record? I mean, we could have already been making money on this thing for two or three years now. So I, I don't know what to tell you on that. And and the other thing too, is it's interesting that that's a, that it, sometimes, you know, you the movie's a hit, but the song is not. Sometimes they're both a hit. I couldn't even tell you. I mean, like two of a kind. Uh, I, I don't remember it ever coming out. I don't remember anything about it, but I do remember the song. I remember coming out because they, of course, they build it as this big, you know, after the big duet in Greece, which was the biggest hit in the world in 78 or whatever that mm-hmm. was. Hey, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John are back together and they're singing. And I think Twist of Fate was a huge hit for Olivia. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. That, um, was. that was big. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the movie did very well at all. I don't think anyone liked it. It's like, there's really not that much chemistry and <laughs> neither one of them were fantastic actors. You know, Olivia's <laughs> beautiful and she's a great singer. Is she an actress? Eh, not really. Travolta was still trying to find himself. And when he's not dancing, he's less effective. It was a million dollars. I mean, it was a it was a platinum selling soundtrack, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know who else is on it? Well, Chicago's on it. Okay, that's Boss Gags on it. He's a pretty big deal, you know. David Foster's got a song on there. Okay, well, you know, he's a pretty big deal. So it's not a shock that it went up there. But you know, seeing Chicago, that kind of just triggers for me. You're right. Perry probably was hearing stuff in his ear because it was this time that Mick Jagger was starting to hear you could do a solo album. You could go do a song with David Bowie, right? It was this time Freddie Mercury was hearing Michael Jackson selling 40 million copies, not the Jackson 5, you know. You could sell it without Queen, you know. Peter Cetera, you're a great singer. You don't need to be one of six members of Chicago. You can go out and be Peter Cetera, you know. So David Lee Roth, in a couple of years, like, you don't need Van Halen. You don't need those guys. You can just go out and do covers, and people Mm. will think you're amazing, you know, with your shirt off, you know. So... (laughs) This is what's going on in the industry right now because it's a lot easier to control one solo artist and market them than it is a whole band. Well, and the other thing too is if you have if you have this the solo artist spin off and the you can keep the band relatively relevant. Now I've got two things to sell you instead of just one. Right, right. So even though at the time, like no solo artist has ever left the band. And the band continued to be successful, like ever. That's never happened, you know. And I'm like, well, maybe that didn't happen, but now it kind of happens a lot, mm-hmm. to be honest yeah. with you. Especially if all the talent's still in the band. But again, it's a song you couldn't get on a Journey album, and and so when Journey's Greatest Hits came out, it's kind of a no-brainer to go buy this thing, you know, and and, and get songs like this that you didn't. Yeah. Now another song that was on the. 2006 reissue was Liberty, which is a, a short song. It's only, it's not even three minutes. And it's it's not a bad song or anything. It's a little tinny to me. And it's a little short. It's missing the kind of signature Neil or even Jonathan Kane super key. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a bad song. I think it's about living in America and stuff like that. But it almost sounds like something to me that wasn't quite finished. And so they kind of abandoned it. It's not like, oh, we'll save this and, and use it as a beat side or we'll save this. And, and put it out later. It's more like, eh, okay, we've done what we can with that. We'll just let it go. <laughs> and, and it shouldn't have been on the album, and it wasn't. Right. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing too. I mean, it it's very patriotic. 
I mean, it's kind of, eh, I mean, it's kind of cool to hear what they were working on, but yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't know. I don't even know why they included this with the reissue because you already had three songs that you, well, two songs that you knew. I don't know if anybody knew only solutions from the Tron soundtrack. Cause right. by that point, when this came out, Tron was had come and gone many years ago. Right. But yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's nice to hear. I just don't know why it's on there. Well, I know. I, I guess it's a finished song and, and throw it on there. Here it is. Uh, yeah. But you know, only solutions in Tron obviously didn't make the soundtrack cause they got it to them too late, I think, but they did stick it in like the credits uh, while the credits were rolling. I think they used another song in there called like 1990s music that journey penned or 90s theme or something like that. I don't know. Okay. That was in the movie. But um, it has some harmonies, which are very journey, but it's it's missing riffs. And and again, Kane's keyboard is muted. It's not great. You know, it's another one that's just not, uh, you know, no big chords, a little picking. I don't know. It, I know it's supposed to be different because it's like technology future mm-hmm. thing, but, you know, there's a reason it didn't really right. go anywhere, you know. The song that's more interesting to me is All That Really Matters, which was recorded at this time. It came out on Time Cubed, the box set that came out when I think we were in college. Yeah. And John Kane singing lead. Now, it's very synth. It's very 1983. But it's it's way better than Liberty or, or, or Solutions Only to me. And not to mention Backtalk. Um, I, I think it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty good. Now, because there's no Steve Perry singing lead on it, I understand why they didn't put it on the record. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, at that time, that's not Journey if Steve Perry right. is singing. But could it be, have been a hit with another band? Or could it have been a hit if Steve did sing on it? Because I think Jonathan actually does a pretty good job on this. But because it's not Steve Perry, it's not Journey. So could he have saved it for Bad English or a solo yeah. project or whatever? Or give that it to somebody that, else? Yeah, that's an interesting thought of, you know, what could have been if you kind of mess with it a little bit? Because, I mean, is the is the bones of the song, is it decent? And then all you'd have to do is tweak it or it, it just let Perry sing it and have it be a journey song. I don't know. That's It'd be interesting to track the development of how these things work out. Or was it just one of those things where it was like, we just have too much stuff, so we're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. But see, you've got those five songs, which that's half of another album. Plus, most of the singles had some kind of a single edit, whether it was a whole Mm -hmm. minute taken out of it or 12 seconds taken out of it. And there's always remixes and stuff like that. So basically, after Escape, their diamond-selling record, they made two records that had six or seven top 40 hits, some of them top 10 hits, some of them that really endure to this day. That's incredible to me, especially given the fact that they still kind of had new pieces of the band. I mean, you write this in 1982, Jonathan Cain and Steve Smith had only been there two years. It's not like they'd mm-hmm. been there since the beginning, like Neil and Ross had. So you just have to, even if you're not a huge Journey fan, you have to look at this body of work at this time and be like, wow, that 
you guys were really on fire. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and, and pick apart kind of some of these other bands where they have a huge record and then there's a big fall off after it, it, there had to be some kind of anxiousness going into this. Like we, we really need something big. We need this to, to not fizzle out. We need to keep the heat behind you. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I can't remember who it was we were talking about, whether it was Aerosmith or somebody else where it was like, yeah, if, if you take a year off or whatever, they'll forget all about you. Like this was the time where it was like, you cannot be out of the public eye for the music business. Like if you, you, you have to keep it going. So the fact that they could put this together and have a have another giant record come out is pretty impressive. Yeah, and they weren't out of the public eye because we mentioned all the movies that they were in over mm-hmm. those seven years or whatever. 81 Escape comes out. There's three or four singles off that going into 82. Then in 83, it's boom, every three months. 84, you get the single Ask the Lonely off of Two of a Kind. Then later in 84, Steve Perry puts out Street Talk, which is a double platinum selling record. It has the hit Oh, Sherry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and has a few other singles off. He's making videos and stuff like that so that they stay in it. Then in 85, Vision Quest comes out and mm-hmm. Only the Young comes out. And it's, I mean, I I would say Lunatic Fringe was the standout song on the album yeah. uh, or in the movie, kind of define the movie. But right. that was a huge hit. Only the Young was a bigger hit and, and obviously a known quantity like Journey. And then in 86, they come back with Raised on Radio, which would prove to be their last album for a while and i guess you know they already had a riff there because ross didn't participate at all steve Mm -hmm. smith was out of it you know at that point as well and then but then journey was defunct for the better part of a decade after Mm -hmm. raised on radio you know and i guess they were all kind of fat and happy and you know they kind of all went out to do some side projects steve kind of continued as a solo artist and and, and Neil was in some different bands and stuff like that. But then when they got back together in the 90s, the kind of the heyday band was back together. Steve, Ross, Neil, Jonathan, Steve Perry, they're, they're all back together again for um, Trial by Fire, which again, sold pretty well. I mean, for a band that was gone for a decade, they came back, they had a, hits on the radio, it went platinum, mm-hmm. but then it all started to crumble and it has really just been kind of crumbling ever since. I mean, Steve... Steve Perry had to leave because he had health issues. They brought in a guy named Steve Algeri. Then he had health issues. So then they brought in Jeff Scott Soto. He didn't fit. So then they searched the world, found a Filipino kid who can mm-hmm. sound a lot like Steve Perry. And I got to tell you, I give Arnel Pineda a lot of credit. That guy goes and sings his heart out every night. And he works hard at what he does, singing songs that he didn't write to people who expect it to sound a certain way. And I have seen him because I wanted to see them because Asia was opening for them. So I went to see them. And and honestly, and it was the whole band from Frontiers, with the exception of Steve Perry. So it was that okay. lineup. And to be honest with you, I was, I was impressed with it. And I'm like, you know what? That's good. He gives them a chance to continue on. And, and people want to hear Journey, and that's great. We haven't heard a whole lot from Steve Perry, though I just saw on YouTube he sang something this year, 2023, he sounds, somewhere. He still sounds really good. He does, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. So what's the story? He just doesn't want to tour. He doesn't like those guys. He don't want to deal with the bullshit. Because there's a story that late last year when Steve Smith and Ross Valley tried to usurp control from Jonathan Cain and Neil Sean. Yeah, they, they got the votes. Well, Steve Perry was there at that meeting. So apparently he's still on the board of Journey. He still owns well, some rights yes, yeah. to Journey. Mm-hmm. 
and he was siding with them to take it away from, well, then of course they got fired. Now Steve and Ross are not out or not in the band anymore. Randy Jackson's back in. So Ross has been out of the band twice for brief times. Randy Jackson has filled in both times. And then he and Neil and Jonathan Kane got crossed with each other because John Kane's wife is a televangelist who's like Donald Trump's spiritual advisor. That's a problem for Neil. Neil's wife is an insane reality housewife hooker groupie who's hot and everything. You're hot, Michaela, <laughs> but you're insane. You crashed a party at the White House. You should probably be in jail. And now they're suing each other because they're taking money out of the Journey account. And it's like, God, why did why is Journey a soap opera, man? Why can't they just go out and play? And now Jonathan Cain's out of the band, and Greg Raleigh's going to tour on their 2023 tour with Toto opening for them, apparently. So I just got to tell you, I don't get it. And it, the whole yeah. mess is very sad to me. Well, and and I, there's two sides to every story. I get it. The latest riff with with Sean and Kane. I get what what Sean is saying about how like it's first of all you can't do stuff without telling me because you know he's the CEO, president, whatever, and it's not a political deal. He's not. I don't. I, it's not political music. We don't right. support either side. We we. It's not a deal. And so, but I mean, the, the, I would have thought of all the people he would have he and Kane would have stuck together. I mean, they've been together since 83. I know. Everything. They were always the. Or 81. That's that's why. Yeah. Yeah. They were always the one that were together. They went and did bad English Mm -hmm. together with, uh, with uh, John Waite. Yeah. They produced the albums. Right. Yeah. And, and to have it fall apart so quick. And and now, I mean, I don't know if you follow Neil on Twitter, but it's like, you know, I'll work with who I want to and I'll do what I want because it's my band. It's like, oh boy, whoa mm-hmm. boy, this is bad. Um, and, but I mean, I love Greg Raleigh. So, I mean, that's cool that he's back in the band. But yeah, what, how is it so much drama in one group of people? Like they can't ever, I know. they just can't ever keep it together. And I understand, you know, Perry's thing too about how I guess he had problems and they were like, well, just go get it taken care of. He's like, whoa, whoa, you know, time out a minute this this is a little more serious than yeah, this, this is back over. surgery i'm not in yeah. and out of this you know right yeah like this is gonna this is a big decision i need to make and he felt like they were pushing him just to get it done so that they could go out on tour and i understand that but i don't get it i think the the bottom line is that they probably just made a ton of money back then so there really is no there's no real pressure to do this again because well i've got money coming in it doesn't matter and to be stuck with these guys again on the road, you're going to say, oh, now I remember. But the thing I is, remember. since Arnell came back, they've been making big money again. Mm-hmm. Journey's been touring a lot, and they're touring arenas and big amphitheaters and stuff like that. They, they are making big money again. And you would think there'd be enough to go around. But Michaela seems like the type who would just spend money on stuff. She went through the article I saw that came out. During COVID, Neil Sean bought 150 guitars. Yeah. You know, and those aren't like starter guitars you get off eBay that come with a strap and a stand and a few picks. Like he's buying super nice. We're talking hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars worth of guitars because well, I'm sitting home not doing anything. He's the guy in LA, Norman's Rare Guitars or something. Yeah. I know, he, I know he goes there quite a bit. And yeah, there's nothing cheap in that shop. And he, he can afford a lot of that stuff, but 150, you know. And look, he's a fantastic guitar player, I think. And he, he's he's done some great rock and roll. He's kind of had a big part in the soundtrack of our lives growing up. Mm-hmm. 
but it seems like he's really lost his way. You know, I, I don't want to say bad people, things about people in religions, but, you know, if, if you're a televangelist, if your wife's a televangelist who's Donald Trump's spiritual advisor, you got big question marks around you. That's all I'm going to say. I'm a Christian, okay? I, but I don't go on TV because to me, that's not really Christianity that's mm-hmm. making a bunch of money. And that's all DT cares about. But I don't know. And hey, I love Greg Raleigh. Yeah, uh, probably the least well-known two-time member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because he's in for Journey and Santana and, and a real talent. Was he in Return to Zero? I, I think I think I saw mm-hmm. him play in one of those bands in the early 90s that was like Return to Zero or something like that. He may have been. I know that he's played with uh, with Ringo Starr in the All-Star Band. Yeah. And that's one of those deals like, you know, he kind of he kind of wears a hat and he's got the beard now and you don't really you don't really recognize him because everybody else on there. And all of a sudden they go into black magic woman. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. That's Greg Raleigh. Oh, he can sing. You know, he, he still got the pipes. It sounds like. Oh, wait, it was the storm. It wasn't RTZ. It was the storm. Okay. He made, okay. He made a band called the storm. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. That had um, Ross, Ross Valley was there. Steve Smith was there. It was basically X journey and a couple of other people. So if they do, if they do Greg Raleigh and Arniel, they can do like same way. Right. Which they weren't doing before. Songs like that. And I love that, the back and forth on that. That's fantastic. Um, but well, they're coming to thing. Jacksonville, Jackson. So maybe you should go check them out. I probably should. Yeah. Check that out. The one thing I want to say about Steve Perry, though, I was thought was really classy when they went into the Hall of Fame. Arniel was not part of that. He had he was there, right. but he wasn't part of the. And, and Perry made a. He said, "Hey, I really want to thank him for you know singing his heart out and keeping you know waving the journey flag, keeping it alive." I'm like, well, that's classy because he didn't have yeah. to say anything about it. So I mean, I don't know. Like I, I don't. I th- I think that it's more. It, it may be more that he's not mad at them so much. It's just he's just done. He's just done doing that kind of thing. Like I, I can't, yeah. Because when he nice first life. left or whatever, you know, because they always said the joke was Elvis le- has left the building because Steve wouldn't mm-hmm. like come hang out with the guys after the show. Like like they all sit around and have beers. Like oh, good show. Yeah, he would just split. Yeah. You know, and so he never really felt like he was part of the band, like, okay, whatever, Steve, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we always kind of attribute that to LSD, right? Lead singer's disease. Like, okay, yeah, he's Mr. Superstar. He doesn't have time for real. But as time has gone on, he looks better and better, you know. And apparently Neil tried to register about 27 different names of their songs as trademarks so they could sell them on t-shirts or sell them on posters or whatever. Okay. Of course, a good number of those Steve wrote or co-wrote. And so he sued him to block them from doing that. You know, and then of course, Neil comes out and talks shit about Steve, you know, and then Jonathan's like, no, don't talk shit about Steve. He's an important part of this band. He's trying to preserve the legacy. What you and Mikhail are doing or destroying the legacy is no. like, well, screw you, Jonathan King, because you're destroying the legacy by being with Donald Trump. So da, da, da. Well, I think Steve eventually dropped this lawsuit because I think he's like, you know what? I, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. I've got enough money. And you know what? If, if Neil wants to ruin it over some blonde hooker, let him do it. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to tell you on that. I mean, you, you'd like to think that you could keep the two things separate, your personal life and your business life. But apparently with, and we've seen it over and over again with these bands, it just doesn't happen. Like there's just too much bleed over from one to the other that it's, yeah. And especially when you've got a franchise that makes a lot of money there are a lot of people who want to tell you how they feel about this and give you ideas and their two cents 
I know. But you would think after you've been through that in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, finally you're in your 60s and you got to the point where it's like, okay, we're back, you know, and mm-hmm. we made it all the way back. And we're not right. doing theaters. We're not doing clubs. We're doing nice big shows. We tour first class. We have a masseuse on the road with us to take care of us because we're so old, you know. <laughs> this is great. But no, it's just, it's not enough suddenly i mean like he and michaela sued the city of san francisco because they got married at a place a public place they had to rent and then they sold tickets to it via pay-per-view so you could watch the wedding on pay-per-view and the city of san francisco jacked the price up once they knew it was pay-per-view so then they sued the city of san francisco they won and got money back for that but it's kind of like how many bridges are you going to burn? Like he, he sued Live Nation a couple of times. He sued <laughs> all the members of his band. It's like, why are you doing this? Mm. And I just point at her because, I mean, if you're a re- real housewife, reality star, I know a lot about you just because you're on that show. I know a lot. You don't know me. Yes, I do, bitch. <laughs> I know all about you. All and about it, you. Like I said, at, at a certain point in time, especially if, the, if this is a new relationship, you know, as in after the band starts, it has to, I mean, it has to be like, listen, the business end of it, you don't have anything to do with that. You'll get your check. You can spend the money. That's fine. But I don't want to hear anything about it. You're not part of the journey, you know, name. You're not part of the corporation, not part of anything. I need to keep these two things separate. And it doesn't sound like he can do that. Well, the thing is they dated in the nineties when he was in his forties or whatever, and she was in her twenties, but she was also dating her eventual husband kind of dating them both, saying, okay, which one's going to give me the better deal? She decided that living on a winery in Virginia was probably a better lifestyle choice than living in a tour bus or trying to follow him around while all these girls are after him, whatever. But then, you know, she just couldn't get away. I mean, he's still a sexy rock star, and this guy's still a boring winery dude, you know, who, who crashes White House parties with her, you know, so then she just leaves him. She just up and leaves him. He filed a missing persons report. She's like, no, she's not missing. She just took off with the guitar player she used to date 15 years ago or whatever. <laughs> Crazy, you know, just nuts. I mean, and he was already dating somebody else, maybe even married to somebody else who would, he'd married earlier that year. It's like, good Lord, what does she do? Like, does she <laughs> spin around? Does she dangle from the from the ceiling and land on you? I mean, what? What talents does she have? That's what you want to be broadcasting, not to look at me shopping on the real house wars of wherever, you know, it's like, show me what's going on in that bedroom to make her worth all that, dude. I don't know. I don't know. Just, it, it's sad that it's sad that you, that you couldn't have kept it together. I know it's easy for me to say, I have, I've never been in that situation before. I don't know anything about it, but for a band that, that, like you said, is so intertwined in the, the rock classic rock scene for all those years and even today i mean like you said they're still touring people still still want to see them mm-hmm. to have those kind of problems just just let it be its own thing don't don't complicate so now whereas you know four years ago five years ago whatever it was i saw basically the classic lineup plus arnell because steve perry's not in it anymore. Mm-hmm. now five years later you've got greg raleigh out of mothballs and retirement <laughs> to come back and play in journey for the first time in more than 40 years you got randy mm-hmm. jackson picking it up after more than 35 years for them. You got Steve. I don't even know who their drummer is, but I don't know. And the thing is, Journey attracts a lot of casual rock fans. There are a lot of bands like, oh, if you change too many members, then that's not whomever. That's not Motley Crue anymore. That's not Queensryche or whoever it is who goes through changes. But I think because Journey, and I'm sorry, ladies, I'm going to say, has a lot of female fans 
mm-hmm. who don't really care who's playing it as long as it sounds right and you can dance to it and sing along to the songs you love growing up. It doesn't really matter who's playing it, right? Right. As, as long, yeah, you're right. As long as it sounds about the same and I hear the songs that I love, yeah, they, it's it's fine. They'll keep rolling. Yeah. So what do you think? You're going to go see them? I think it's early March. Uh, I'll check it out and see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for the, for the, the factor that Greg Raleigh's back in there. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that would be the, the attraction for me. And Toto opens for him. I, I kind of always wanted to see Toto. I mean, I'd like to see a full Toto show, but if they mm-hmm. only do like nine or 10 songs, then you'll get the best of, right? Right. Right. That is our take on Journey's Frontiers, 1983 classic that had hit after hit after hit, both on it and not on it. Still strange that they did decide, at least the A&R band decided, to, to take Only the Young and Ask the Lonely off of that record. And it does beg the question, would it have been even bigger, more than six million sold in the U.S., if they kept those two mega hits on there? Now, if you think in terms of, well, they probably got paid to be in both movies, they still get paid royalties when the movies are shown or purchased, maybe. They get money from the soundtrack sales, though, one-tenth or something like that. But then you put it in the perspective of, well, then the Greatest Hits album comes out, and because that has songs on it that you could not buy on a Journey album, maybe that helped propel that to a 15 million diamond and a half seller in the U.S. I don't know, it's hard to know. And then, was he really thinking about that in 1983 when he did that? He's like, oh, when we put together a Greatest Hits album five or six years from now, it'll make it more valuable. I doubt that. Bottom line is, these songs, like Separate Ways, Faithfully, Ask the Lonely, Only the Young, I Think Edge of the Blade is a cool tone, Send Her My Love, After the Fall, these are great songs. These are songs that have endured, they've stood the test of time, they mean a lot to a certain generation of people, of which maybe we're at the younger age of, you know, maybe, is in, we're in 1983, we're 10 years old, MTV is huge. Journey's playing a big role in that and certainly playing a big role on rock radio, but just the movies that they were in continue to keep them in the public conscious, in the public eye, in the public zeitgeist. People know who Journey are because of this record and Escape and the stuff they did it before, but uh, this I feel like was a was a very important one in their catalog and it was a lot of fun to revisit, including the B-sides and the tracks that ended up going on soundtracks and in the movies and things like that. First time we did a Journey record, Probably won't be the last, though. I got a feeling we might do another one down the road at some point. So now we need to know from you. Did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can tweet or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know the bands, the concerts, the albums, the movies, the stuff you want us to review, you want to hear us talk about here on the show. Now that we're into 2023, we're going to be doing a lot of 50, 45, 40, 35, 30-year-old records, you know. So anything that came out in a year that ends in three or eight, let us know. You know, we're, we're making our list right now. We've got some exciting stuff lined up. We're working on some cool guests for you guys that I think you're really going to enjoy. But you got to let us know what you want us to talk about. Thanks, as always, to the Pantheon Podcast Network, which we're proud to be a part of. And thanks, as always, to our incredible sponsor, RareVinyl.com, where if you go and you use the code PODCAST, 
you can save 10% off not just your first order, but every order you make with them over the years. They ship all around the world. It's a great way to save a little money while you're collecting your records. Next week, Jackson and I dive into a record that we really love from an artist who may not be that well known, but has been on some big hits. You would know a guy that Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, definitely has some love for, uh, and that's Scottish singer-songwriter Jerry Rafferty. We're talking about his City to City album. So until then, to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.